0: Professor of Law at the University of Illinois, will be discussing your recent article, Enforcement Networks, which was recently published in the Yale Journal on Regulation. I'll have a link to the article in the show notes for today's episode. Verity, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Um, let me give you a sense of the piece uh, up front, and then we can get into it. In the article, I use techniques from computer and information science to investigate how governmental agencies coordinate when they bring enforcement actions. And so the study focuses on what you could think of as civil white-collar actions, and it takes advantage of the SEC's practice of thanking agencies that helped them, and then maps the network of acknowledgements as a way of getting at the patterns of informal coordination that you wouldn't be able to see otherwise.
0: So you took a look at decades of acknowledgments in SEC enforcement press releases, thinking other agencies in the federal government and foreign governments in self-regulatory organizations, states and local authorities who helped them. What drew your attention to these acknowledgments? Why might they matter in terms of understanding enforcement and what questions can they shed a light on?
1: Well, let me start by giving you a sense of the underlying information we're dealing with. So, over time I've read a lot of SEC public releases, and in some ways these announcements are really the main source for understanding what's going on in SEC enforcement. So, let me just give you an example from a couple of weeks ago, a litigation release announced that the SEC charged a Texas company in a multi-million dollar Ponzi scheme. And this is publicly available on the SEC website. You could pull it up on your phone right now your computer. And the last sentence of the release is this. It just says, the SEC appreciates the assistance of the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of Mississippi and the FBI. And this is fairly typical. And so going through these, I also noticed that the SEC was sometimes thanking entities that aren't part of the conventional story we tell about securities enforcement. And so Canadian Mounties and the Texas Railroad Commission and the Vanuatu Securities Authority Authorities and U.S. postal inspectors. And so it struck me as a potential way into what is what's often a black box, uh, this enforcement and investigation. And so that's the underlying source. And the most direct thing it can tell us about is about what actors the SEC acknowledges, right? What, who's, who's thanked? But some underlying interaction has led to this acknowledgement. So these are also acting as a proxy for the underlying coordination uh, for this enforcement network. And so in general, I think of this as a first step and, and one that can feed a number of different literatures uh, giving this sense of the network overall.
0: So before we get into some of the empirical work that you've done and and your findings, what do we already know about the nature of the SEC's cooperation and coordination with other agencies as just a general matter?
1: Well, over time, uh, how much the agency has emphasized the importance of coordination has varied. So right after the financial crisis, the SEC was really pushed to coordinate with regulators from other countries. But what I've been struck with is that the emphasis has persisted, uh, or at least the rhetoric, over different administrations. So even the last couple of years, you have SEC enforcement heads pointing to the critical collaboration with international regulators. So that's really the rhetoric about coordination. Absent a study like this, uh, what we know is mostly about formal coordination. So the SEC has formal arrangements with the Justice Department, some of it statutory, some through guidance. We know of the existence and membership of centralized organizations of regulators. Uh, So IOSCO and the North American Securities Administrators Association, NASA, and we also know about international MOUs.
0: So, your empirical method, as you mentioned at the the top of the conversation, brought in place some concepts from information theory. Could you walk us through what your method was, how you designed your research, and kind of the theory behind that research design?
1: Yeah. So let me first say uh, that this is a very collaborative project. Maybe appropriately, it took a network of people to do this. And so I took the the initial thought for this project to a number of University of Illinois colleagues in other areas and who had computer science and information science background. And I, I realized after talking to them that this type of study had some precedent in the literature about networks, uh, about outside the law. And in particular, some of the studies had developed a way of looking at acknowledgements and citations in scientific articles as a proxy for research collaboration. So once I had these conversations, it seemed like a really good fit with this work and also a novel use of it for something that's actually hard to get at otherwise. So I worked with students from the University of Illinois Information School, the iSchool. This is our library, but also compute. they have a lot of computer science background. And one of them developed a program that scraped the SEC website, uh, particularly litigation and press releases. And then the program pulled text containing key acknowledgement language, thanks, acknowledge, assistance, etc., cetera. And then it extracted the entity names like FBI. And so it gets mixed with manual review, partially for quality control, but also for distinguishing beginnings and ends of entity names, which is harder than you would think. But ultimately, you're able to see the number of times that each entity was acknowledged and the grouping and also changes over time.
0: So as we might look at citations in journal articles to see intellectual connections between different ideas and scholars, we might also look to these acknowledgements and press releases to see what connections, relationships there are between the SEC and some of its sister and counterpart agencies what were the findings that you you found from this and maybe what was some of the scope of what you found in terms of are we talking about a lot of releases here are we talking about not a whole lot what was the time frame that you were looking over and what did you find
1: so the time frame is actually more than two decades of these acknowledgements. So it, I looked at 1998 to 2018, so almost through the article's publication. So it's about 21 years of acknowledgements. And then during this time, oh, almost 3,000 releases contained one or more acknowledgements. So they thanked one or more other entities for coordinating with them.
0: Who were some of the big recipients of these acknowledgements? And maybe you note a few that were a little bit less expected or that wouldn't be expected to be part of the securities enforcement universe.
1: Yeah. So one of the findings, you had asked about the findings, and one is just that there's a large and diverse number of entities, so almost 500 unique entities. And they really vary. They're U.S. state and federal and international and small town police departments. There's a wide variation. Uh, But another piece of this pattern is there are some repeat players. And so the three top of the list thanked over and over are the U.S. attorney's offices FBI, and then FINRA. And in some ways, these are the ones you would expect to see as repeat players as repeatedly interacting with the SEC. What's somewhat more surprising is that other than that, there were really entities or regulators or sometimes police departments that interacted one time or a couple of times with the SEC. And so you have a lot of really two different populations coming up these repeat players and then these one time uh, interactions.
0: And what implications might some of these relationships hold, or, or what stories might we cast upon some of these findings in terms of who's getting acknowledged and, and how often, or and whether they're repeat players?
1: One of the things to take away from this, and in some ways, this is the smaller thing, is about enforcement priorities, is if you want coordination, you're dealing with two different populations and really need different strategies for this. And so you may end up with formalized relationships with the FBI or with FINRA, we we actually have quite a bit of statutory and and regulatory structure for that type of thing. But you also have to deal and structure your information flow in some way for these one time entities. And so how are you going to get information from them that in some ways is reaching out to the regional offices, or it's reaching out to the states, or it is enhancing the other ways of getting information or having some sort of coordination with these people who just aren't repeat players, they don't come back all the time. So whistleblowers or tips or referrals, that type of model may work better for those one-time interactions.
0: You mentioned that at the top that you hope that this piece will kind of spur a new literature. What new questions did working on this article raise for you? And what extensions do you see as a potential for this article?
1: Yeah. So I think there's some direct applications of a method like this. So the SEC, uh, you could build out a picture of the internal workings of the SEC easily with something like this, because these also acknowledge who worked on a particular matter or who litigated. So that's just a direct application. You could look at other agencies, Justice Department, press releases also thank people. And so you could do something very directly related. Much more broadly, I think there's sort of an underpinning for other scholars. So there are questions in here about what it might mean for administrative law. There's even a literature of gratitude studies that what's organizational gratitude? What does it why why is the SEC thanking these organizations? But the two questions that are more in my core area of interest are really about the actors that got overlooked in the literature and that come up in this description. And then this perennial question about overlapping enforcement and the extent to which we have multiple enforcers for a single action and the extent to which that is a problem or positive. And we really don't have a good picture of this. I think it comes up when we talk about overlapping criminal and civil actions for the same activity, Mm -hmm. but we really don't know how much of it uh, there is out there. This piece, although it doesn't answer it, it provides this unusual starting point for answering these questions by providing information about the overlap.
0: Verity, do you have any findings from the study that give us any sense of whether the SEC is coordinating, cooperating more with partners or whether it's doing less of that over time. And maybe does this raise any questions about how we think about enforcement in domestic or local or regional or international contexts?
1: Well, uh, on the first issue about whether we see increasing coordination, the results are really consistent with an increasingly interwoven system. Over time, the SEC has thanked a larger number of entities per release. So we see more involved, at least potentially, in these underlying coordinations. Uh, The other question was just about this interaction between domestic and international. We tend to have literatures that either focus on international regulators or domestic civil and criminal authorities. And one of the nice things about this project is that it allows us to step back and get away from this divide and think about the domestic and international entities together. And so you can see part of the data that you get from this is just, you can see these enforcement actions where both are involved, both the domestic and international.
0: What key takeaways or open questions would you leave our listeners with from this conversation or from your article?
1: Well, I think one of the key takeaways is about methodology. And uh, I think we're really good at studying a single agency or the interaction among a few entities, or the divide between criminal and civil. And so I think that as we are able to have more to borrow more from other areas and to talk more to people with different expertise, we're able to look at something that's messy like this, where we have multiple and very diverse interactions. And so this is a first cut at being part of a move that I think we really need to make to understand what's going on in our interactive world.
0: Our guest today has been Verity Winship, professor of law at the University of Illinois. We've discussed her recent article, Enforcement Networks, which was recently published in the Yale Journal on Regulation. I'll link to the article in the show notes for today's episode. Verity, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.